Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks Are Flying, dot com. And when you sign up for the quiz, it'll automatically add you to my mailing list, and you'll get to hear about all my wonderful virtual events, and you'll occasionally get interesting information to help you have a life of more passion, love, and joy. So I'm really happy that you're all with us this evening on the relaunch of Leading Edge Love Radio, and I'm excited for the guest that I have um, for my first episode in a while. Uh, Her name is Evita Sawyers, also known as La Vita Loca, and uh, La Vita Loca Sawyers is a non-monogamy coach, a speaker, and educator. She's the creator of today's polyamory reminder. She's also the subject of a groundbreaking polyamorous documentary called Poly Love. Her approach is both frank yet empathetic, and she's appreciated for her vulnerable openness about her own challenges in non-monogamy, which help others to grow. Welcome to the show, Evita. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super grateful for this opportunity to talk to you today. Great. So glad you're here. So um, I wanted to start out, you know, you're kind of known for just being vulnerable and open, so I'm not going to worry about asking you too many personal questions. So I just want to kind of know a little bit about, like, your personal story, like, of of becoming, you know, realizing that you were a non-monogamous person. Like, how did, like, when did you first know that and, like, what happened that allowed you to have that awakening? Um, Well, monogamy was always a struggle, for me, even as like a teenager, uh, but I just didn't really know that there were any other options beside it, besides, you know, just being monogamous. And so I kind of looked at it as like, well, I probably just wasn't with the right person, et cetera, et cetera, so forth and so on. Um, and then um, I got married to my uh, current husband of uh, 16 years uh, when I was like 21. And we got married very conventionally. So we had the church wedding and, you know, I was going to be the stay-at-home mom and he was going to be the provider. And um, uh, about nine or ten years into our marriage, uh, we just went through this entire, like, shift in perspective of, like, how we wanted to live. My son actually had gotten diagnosed with um, brain cancer at the time. And um, it just really changed, like, how we wanted to show up to life in general. And I had always known that I was attracted to women, but I had never gotten an opportunity to do anything about that. And, um, and so that kind of fueled this shift that we made in our relationship. And at the time, we were just going through uh, the cancer, having a pediatric cancer, it was really, 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 really just hard. And mm, um, I, can only imagine. I was wanting to, yeah, I was. And I was wanting to develop my sexuality because I was married to this man. I was in this, you know, heterosexual marriage. And I wasn't finding that it was fulfilling, not because, like, he wasn't a good partner, 
But there was just like, I was just like, oh, like, you know, I never got a chance to explore this and figure out. And so I was having this like kind of like crisis of like, well, am I a lesbian? And I never got the opportunity to like experience that. And we were going through this pediatric cancer and my partner at the time or my husband had a lot of like sexual hangups. So um, he didn't really grow up in a very sex positive way. And so Mm -hmm. we were like, we're going through this really crummy time in life. You know, you have these like sexual hangups. I have this sexuality that we just is unexplored. And so we were like, we need to have some fun. So we started like a lot of couples do with swinging uh, because that was the only thing that I was like aware of at the time. And so, you know, we kind of, we did the traditional thing where, you know, you have a heterosexual couple and, you know, the uh, woman in the couple is bisexual of like, oh, like, let's, right. you know, try to have some like, you know, kind of naughty fun and see if we can, you know, have a threesome and those kinds of things. <laughs> and, um, and so we ended up like, discovering the swinger world and uh, made some friends. And so we would go to their parties and things like that. And so that was like our first foray into non-monogamy, which was very easy for me um, because I don't really attach a whole lot to like sex. So um, recreational sex was not a challenge for me um, very much. And I mean, I had some like, you know, season insecurities about my partner engaging with other people sexually, but those went away pretty quickly. Um, and they weren't super difficult to navigate. Uh, but while swinging worked very well for me, it was really hard for my husband because he's a lot more demisexual than I would say than I am. And so for those that don't know who demisexuality right. is, it's people who don't develop sexual attraction to people that they don't have emotional connection to. While he does mm-hmm. develop sexual attraction for people that he doesn't um, like have an emotional connection to, he just prefers to be sexual with people that he's emotionally connected to. So he's not really like just a random hookup kind of person where for me, swinging was perfect. Like it was very easy. Recreational sex is not a challenge for me. I'm totally okay with with people that I don't know. And so it worked very well for me, but he struggled with it. And we were at a party one day and a woman came in with her boyfriend And then her husband came in later on and they were all just kind of hanging out and talking and laughing and kind of joking. And it like blew our mind. We were like, what? (laughs) Like this is a thing. Like that was our first, like our first like example or introduction into the other facets of non-monogamy or polyamory up up until that point, all we knew about was the swinging and that was it. And it Mm -hmm. did not appeal to me initially. And it very much appealed to my husband because, like I said, he was struggling with the, the recreational sex act aspect. Like, he just could not really get comfortable in the uh, swinger realm. And he really wanted the opportunity to be able to have relationships with others that he could develop, you know, emotional bond with. Um, and so initially, I was just like, uh-uh. <laughs> no, like, uh I was very, very, very uh, resistant to it. To me, like, sex is, like, just something that you do with your body, and your body's like a shell, you know? But it doesn't make right. up, like, who you are. Um, and so, like, mm-hmm. your time, your regard, your emotions, you know, like, those things to me were things that, like, make you who you are as a person. And I, at that time, you know, my worldview on relationships was that I didn't want to share that with anyone. Like, you know, those things belong to me. And um, I didn't want him initially very hesitant we tried but like we had like a brief stint where we were like okay you know we're gonna I like people that's why I get it was super volatile I was not very 
Um, and so we tabled it because we were like, yeah, this is not. I'm so so sorry to interrupt you, but your connection isn't so great. I don't know if you maybe moved somewhere different than you were before, but just want to let you know your connection got a little bit fuzzy. In the um, okay, I'm still. Let me see if I um, turn off my Wi-Fi. If that's helpful, because I'm connected to my Wi-Fi and there's like a ton of devices because <laughs> I have kids. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. And so let's see. Okay, so go ahead. You go ahead and continue. Bit. I'll let you know. Okay, you. is that helpful? Okay, go ahead. Does that sound better? Yeah. So so far so good. Thanks. So we tried it briefly. Um, I, I went on like a couple of dates. He went on one date. I like totally lost it. <laughs> we were just like, oh, we should probably table this. So we did, and then maybe about six months later, we reapproached it because I wanted the opportunity to experience having romantic relationships with women. I had only had sexual mm-hmm. ones up until that point, and wanted to have the experience of actually having a woman partner. Um, mm-hmm. And so we decided to try it again, um, and we didn't start like unicorn hunting or like trying to find someone for the both of us. Me and my husband have very different tastes in women. <laughs> so we were just like, mm-hmm. you go get your own person. I'm going to go get my own person. And so that's how we started. And then, interestingly enough, we happened to be at a swinger party, met someone there that we both liked. And that was a triad relationship that we got into off and on for about two years, which is actually the subject of the documentary that you mentioned was that relationship. And then once that started, it just kind of opened Pandora's box. And so now we were open, we were seeing other people and that was eight years ago and the rest is kind of history. Wow. Cool. Well, let me ask you a few questions about what you shared. I appreciated that because there's some really good points in there that I think a lot of people can relate to. Um, Like I related to the starting out swinging because so many of us, that's the only non-monogamous behavior we'd ever heard of at first. Right. Um, And I, I too, I too kind of had a similar experience of being at a swinger party and I was already practicing polyamory and my partner and I were talking to some swingers about it and they were just looking at us like we were from Mars. Like, how could you ever do that? And I'm like, wait a minute, you guys just had sex with somebody you just met and you think we're weird. <laughs> right. it's, it's so funny how people are pointing at each other going, you're the weird one. <laughs> yeah, like there's a little bit of, of almost like a like a leeriness of people that are polyamorous. And it's so funny to me that they kind of feel that way. It's like, oh, like we can do this, but we couldn't do that. But I, that's what I felt, you know, when I first got into it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you talked about, you used the phrase that you don't attach to sex. Now, I kind of know what that means, but just... To elaborate a little bit on that for people who aren't familiar with that, you, you mentioned a couple times that you um, that you're comfortable with having sex with people you don't know well. So can you just talk a little bit more about that? Like, seems like some people can do that, other people can't. Like, just elaborate on that a little bit more if you don't mind. Yeah, for me, um, first of all, I have a very healthy sex drive. I love sex, so I love taking opportunities to have sex when when they present themselves to me. And um, where I attach the meaning is to the person that I'm actually having it with. So, like, mm-hmm. if it's a random stranger that I meet at a swinger party, then that's all it's going to be is just sex with a stranger. Um, and I can just enjoy the act of, of having sex mm-hmm. with someone that I'm, you know, I find attractive and, you know, I'm desire and they desire me. But, like, I won't attach any meaning to it because there's no meaning attached to that actual person. 
Um, and then obviously it takes on a different meaning if I'm sleeping with someone that I'm in love with or one of my partners, um, then that's where the meaning is attached. So for me, I attach the meaning of the sex that I'm having based on who I'm having it with. And so if I have no feelings mm-hmm. for that person and this is just somebody that I'm hooking up with and that's all it'll be, um, and then if mm-hmm. it's someone that I do have feelings for or we have a more um, emotional connection, then it'll take on that meaning there. But for some people, that, they, that attachment is on the act of sex, you know, itself. And so mm-hmm. if they're doing that with a person, that is significant. And so they need to do that with people that they have significant attachment to, you know. Um, and that doesn't mm-hmm. mean time. Yeah. So some people are like, okay, well, you've been with someone for a certain period of time. And it's like, well, no, you can significantly attach to someone that you don't know for a long period of time, but you feel that significant attachment to that person. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's why you're able to be able to, you know, sleep with them because some people attach the significance on the act and giving that to people that they have significant attachment to. But for me, it's very much just about, you know, I can have sex with almost anyone um, that I want to, um, and I won't, it won't really become, like, significant unless I'm with someone that I'm feeling significant for. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. I have a friend who likes to go to play parties and likes to experience the group energy, but she has a boundary around not having um, penetrative sex, um, you know, penis-vagina sex, because that creates attachment for her. But she'll do anything else. She'll let people go down on her. She'll go down on people. But when it comes to the penetration, that's when she notices that she attaches to people. And when she told me that, I thought, is that true for me? And I thought, no, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Like I can have sex with somebody a few times without attaching, but for me it tends to be if I continue to have sex with somebody for like, I don't know, four or more times. <laughs> you know, I haven't measured it exactly, but it's somewhere in there that I start to feel an attachment. So I think we're all kind of on a spectrum somewhere, yeah? Yeah, I think that, and it's important to to be aware of what that is for you. I think a lot of people kind of assume that what it is for them is what it is for everyone, and it's not. So um, mm-hmm, I have had mm-hmm, friends exactly. that I've had sex with multiple times, and um, we just, for whatever reason, there's just nothing there that makes us want to attach to each other in a romantic way. But we can be friends with each other, and we can have sex with each other, but there's nothing about our connection that makes us want to explore like an actual partnership. And then there are some people that they just can't do that. Um, And that's totally Mm -hmm. okay. I think it's really important to kind of know who you are and then make sure that you're communicating that to the people that you're interacting with. So you can kind of make sure that you're in alignment with people that you're kind of interacting with. Because if I'm someone who like that doesn't happen and then I sleep with someone where that does, they may be feeling this attachment to me that I'm not feeling to them (laughs) because uh, I, I right. Same. You know, we don't we don't show up the same way. Yeah, and that's why I think something that we've started to do, at least in the the Bay Area and San Francisco area, is have not only do we have a safer sex conversation where we talk about, you know, what STI tests have we had? What did we test positive for anything? Who who are our other partners? Like those kind of practical things. But we've also started to have like an emotional safer sex conversation, like what will it mean to you if we have sex? What kind of aftercare will you need? And I think those kind of conversations are really important to have as well. Yeah, they are, because um, a lot of times people get tripped up because they thought that it meant the same thing for the person that they were interacting with, but they didn't have that conversation, and then they find out later on that it meant something entirely different, and then a lot of hurt feelings uh, happen. 
Exactly. There's like assumptions there. Well, why did you sleep with me if you weren't in love with me? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't know that we needed love to have sex. You know, some people, they don't, they don't exactly. need that. <laughs> right, right. Um, so when you were sharing your story, you, you kind of threw it out there that you lost it the first time your partner went on a date with somebody. So tell tell us a little bit more about what that looked like for you when you were really new to this and you didn't have much support. Like what did lost it look like for you? <laughs> um, gosh, he went on a date with this person and I don't know what I thought would happen, but I just did not expect him to like her. Um, uh, I just, I just didn't expect, um, like, I didn't expect him to really like, like her. And so I remember the statement that he made, we were talking about something and I, and I remember I was telling him, I was like, you know, I get the kind of thought that maybe you'd go on the date and, you know, you wouldn't find her that interesting or you wouldn't think that she was that cute. And he just was like, no, nah, she was cute. And like, it just, I fell apart. Like I, 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 like him kind of like reiterating to me or like really asserting that like, no, I found her attractive was really, really challenging for me because, um, and this is something that I'm actually, because my husband and I are actually in the process of separating right now. Um, and so what I'm realizing as I'm going back over our relationship or one of the things that I have always been very insecure about um, in my relationship with him is he's not a very... Uh, expressive person so like he's mm-hmm. not the kind of person that's just going to you know tell you you're beautiful every day like you know this is not how he is and so right. like him finding another woman attractive like really really and not that I didn't know that that was a thing you know because we're human beings I find other people all attractive all the time but like hearing him say that about someone else like in my presence this person that he had interacted with it just completely unnerved me and um it -hmm. turned into this long like really emotionally charged uh talk and it was it just ended up like to the point where we were just like okay like this is just not worth the payoff because Mm -hmm. it was I was just a mess I was so 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 uncomfortable so insecure so like just terrified about what this meant for, like, how he felt about me, whether or not, you know, this person was going to come along and he was going to find her more attractive and want to be with her more, you know, because we still had a lot of just programmed in monogamy at that point. Like, we weren't polyamorous at all, so we were just, you know, doing swinging, which is just sex, but the the relationship aspect was still very much just between the two of us. So we mm-hmm. still had a lot of monogamous programming at that that point. And so I very much was just like, well, if he finds this person attractive and desirable and, you know, funny and, you know, wants to hang out with this person, you know, and spend time with them and develop these feelings for this person, what is that going to mean for me? Um, does that mean right. that now he's no longer going to feel those things for me? Like I had no example of him feeling all of these things for someone else while still be able to feel those things for me. So it very much felt like danger. Got it. Thank you. And then um, how did you begin to, and then how do you help your clients to begin to unravel that programming? Honestly, for me, it happened in these moments of failure, quote unquote, you know, where I just did not show up well or had a challenge and, you know, process through those emotions. And that's how those little, like, the stripping away of things happen. So, you know, say, for instance, my partner's, like, first overnight with a person. I remember 
he was dating someone who lived like two hours away. And so it was our first experience with either one of us having a long distance relationship. And then either one of us Mm -hmm. going away to see a person and not coming back the same night or the next morning. Um, And so it was very harrowing. But once I got through the experience and then he came home and our relationship still was intact and he still wanted to spend time with me, it sort of eroded away at a lot of these beliefs that I had about, well, if this person goes and they spend this time with this other person or they interact with this other person in, in this other way, then that means that that's going to take away from them wanting to do that with me. And so it right, kind let of me interrupt you there just for a second through. before yeah. you go on. I, sorry, I know there's a slight, slight delay because it's a live show. Sorry about that. Um, I just wanted to interrupt um, one second because what I'm learning more and more as I practice open relationship and teach others is that the more that we can let our partner be free to express all of them, the more likely they are to want to stay with us. Yeah. Um, I find that um, when we learn to not see them seeking personal fulfillment as something that's threatening to us, it fosters Mm -hmm. in them a sort of like appreciation for us as people being people who support their, like, fullest measure of joy for themselves. Um, right. And that that helps them to feel better about their relationship with us. Because so you're like, I have this person in my life who, even if sometimes it makes them uncomfortable, you know, they care that I am happy. And they care about mm-hmm. me making choices that are in alignment with the things that I want to do. And you generally want to keep people around who <laughs> you can say that about. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, so so now, I interrupted like, you. you know, do you remember my, where you were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was honestly just going through the challenges. And sometimes, you know, I went through the challenges and I surprised myself by how well I adapted, you know, tools I created, different ways that I navigated it. Um, and then sometimes I went through challenges and I totally, like, fell flat on my face. But it was going through those, like, challenges that helped me to begin to break down a lot of that monogamous conditioning and kind of go, okay, well, you know, this is, I know this is going to be but does now this new space, do you still believe that? So it was a constant questioning, you know, as, as different feelings came up, jealousy, envy, you know, fear, all these things came up going, okay, well, where's that coming from? What is it about? You know, what does that say about, you know, these beliefs have? Oops, you're cutting out again, hon. Um, You're cutting out again, sorry. (laughs) I'm just kind of questioning. Sorry, Avita, your connection's cutting out again. They care about you because they went and, you know, slept with this other person. Um, And it's just learning to kind of question these very deep-seated beliefs that we have about relationships. Right, right, right. Sorry, your your connection kind of cut out a little bit in the middle of that. <laughs> but I think we, we oh. got the gist of it, that the, the more you kind of fall on your face and, like, learn, uh, let yourself have the, the growth process. Um, mm-hmm. So so tell me, tell me, like, some specific ways that you feel like you've grown uh, due to practicing non-monogamy. Um, I have learned to 
articulate my emotions in much more healthy ways. Before that, I had a lot of anger. So my default response mm-hmm. to being in any kind of pain was anger. And mm-hmm. so I would talk about my feelings, but in these very angry, like hostile, kind of violent ways. Um, and I had to learn how to not do that. Um, and so I had to learn how to communicate my emotions in healthier ways. I had to learn how to uh, I had to go to anger management, so I actually went to anger management for about six months um, to learn how to process my anger in healthier ways. Um, I had to learn how to uh, give people their emotional autonomy. So I was very much a person to where if I was going through something or we were having an issue, we had to talk about it right then, right now, exactly when it was happening for as long as I wanted to talk about it. And I was not very good about giving my, yes, seriously, I was not. Like I used to call myself the emotional linebacker because I would just bum rush you with feelings talk. And I was like, we're talking about this right now. Like, you know, and exactly in this moment. And it was not helpful. It wasn't like, it, it, it didn't allow for my partners to have their genuine emotional process. Cause like my, my husband is a very much an internal processor. He's a slower processor than I am. It takes him a little while to need to talk about things. And it also wasn't very good for me because sometimes I would be talking about things when it really wasn't good for me to talk about those things because my emotions were just too high. And so I had to learn how to like slow down, take a step, be more um, consenting with my partners going, hey, I have this thing that I need to talk about. Are you in a space where you can hear it? Or can we schedule time to talk about this? I had to learn how to be more concise with my emotional process because I would take my partner through the entire process of, you know, what I was going through emotionally. And a lot of it was just not parts that they needed to witness because some of it was sticky and messy and uncomfortable or it wasn't coming out right because, you know, I was in the height of my emotions. And um, so I had to learn how to be a lot, lot more concise with my emotional processing. Um, and then I also had to learn to exist in a space where I may not always feel comfortable about what someone is doing, but understanding that just because I'm not comfortable about what they're doing doesn't mean that it's wrong um, or that Mm -hmm. they're wrong for doing it or that I cannot hold space that they have a right to do it and give them that space to do that thing. Yeah. And I think most of us from our monogamy programming we learned that if I feel upset about something my partner says or does, then they have to change what they say or do because they made me feel upset or jealous or whatever. (laughs) And I think in polyamory, we learn that um, just because I feel that way, it may have nothing to do with you. And this is for even monogamous relationships with good communication. We need to learn that we're responsible for our own feelings. Right, right. And I mean, sometimes you may have some things that you need to address with your partner, like if you're, you know, feeling a little jealous because they're going out with their new sweetie for the third time this week and you haven't been on a date with them in a month, like that's something that you do need to address. Um, But it doesn't mean that they're wrong for going out with this other person. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that's not that, that, like them going out with this other person is not the problem. The problem is that for whatever reason, y'all are not making time for each other in your relationship. And that's really what you need to address, not the fact that they're going out with this other person. Like that's not the issue. So it's like learning what is yours emotionally and what is your partner's emotionally. And a lot of times what we're going 
uh, through with our partners doesn't really have a whole lot to do with what they're doing with someone else. It's very much what's going on in our individual relationship with them. So learning and sometimes trying to separate those two things is really hard because it's much easier to just go, well, you know, they would have more time to go out with me if they weren't going out with this other person. But it's like, mm-hmm. you know, no, that's not exactly it. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, a relationship masterclass is when we can get our egos out of the way really is what it is when, when our feelings are hurt and we think that we sh- are entitled to something and we're all triggered and crazy. If we can kind of set that aside and see the other person as they're doing the best they can with what they have, can we listen to what's going on for them and can they do the same and listen to what's going on for you and see if there's some kind of negotiation that can happen there to get your needs met? Like what are the underlying needs rather than focusing on the behaviors that they're doing. Like maybe your partner going out, in the example you gave, maybe him going out three times a week with this person is because, you know, they have a desire for um, new and exciting activities that you don't want to do with them. Or maybe they, um, you know, you've been nagging at them about something. They just don't want to hear you. Like there could be some underlying thing that if you can, you know, calm your emotions enough to hear what it is, then you can start to repair that. Right. Or it could be that the person is going out of town, you know, for a month, you know, in a couple of weeks, and they're trying to get as much time with the person as possible. Like, you just don't know uh, what's going on. One of the the things that I I have tried to keep in my mind, I create these little mantras for myself, and one of them is, you know, assume good intent. Um, So if your Mm -hmm. partner, for the most part, in your relationship has shown up as a person who cares about you and loves you and desires to spend time with you, uh, that hasn't changed. Now, it's quite possible that, you know, scheduling and, you know, maybe just different things happen to where you weren't connecting in the way that you were, were accustomed to. Uh, but just making it out to be, well, they're spending time with this other person three times a week because they're, you know, losing their feelings for me and, you know, their, their, their desire for me is winning. Yeah, we and make up the, on the, right. Yeah, we make up these horrible stories that um, usually aren't, rooted in reality at all they're just rooted in our insecurities and our fears and while our feelings and our fears and insecurities are valid um but projecting that onto the world as if that is what is going on and that is reality is usually where things get you know sticky <laughs> so there's mm-hmm, a whole other exactly, person I think. Um, involved and they have a completely different perspective of what's going on exactly so if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with La Vita Loca Sawyers, who is an ethical non-monogamy coach and speaker. And we're having a lively conversation about her experience with non-monogamy and how she helps her clients. If you would like to ask La Vita Loca any questions, you can call us at 657 657- 383-1132. Again, that's 657-383-1132. You will automatically be put on hold. You won't interrupt us, so feel free to call in and we'll just get to you when we have a break in our conversation. We're going to be going for another 20, 25 minutes, so feel free to call in anytime uh, over the next 20 minutes or so. Okay, so let me come back to La Vita Loca here. And um, what is something that you wish you had known when you were starting out in non-monogamy? <laughs> Oof. I wish that I had known that I would make a really big deal out of things that really weren't a big deal 
And I would even be in my head going, Dita, this is really not a big deal. (laughs) But I would make a big deal out of it anyways. And it used up a lot of energy. It used up a lot Mm -hmm. of emotional energy. And so I wish I would have known to use my energy a little bit wisely. And I wish I would have known how to pause a little bit more and sit with my feelings as opposed to just reacting. I was very reactionary. Um, in the beginning of my journey. And I mean, part of that is just you being new and you're in all these new experiences that you just never thought that you would be in. If you would have told me when I walked down the aisle 16 years ago with my husband that, you know, we would be spending a weekend in the house with me and my partner and his partner and we're all kind of hanging out. Like, I'd have looked at you like you were nuts, you know? Like, I'd have been like, what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yeah, we ended up there. And so, um, so these, a lot of these were just new situations and new experiences that I had no idea what I would feel or how I would react to them because I had just never even thought of myself as ever being in them. But I wish I would have learned or would have known back then or had developed the skill to really sit with my feelings before I chose to, you know, say something or do something or react to them. Um, because oftentimes uh, in those moments they feel very fight or flight, and I was just mm-hmm. not making the best choices about what I wanted to say or how I wanted to respond. And then the aftermath of having to clean up after that often made it not worth it than if I would have just kind of sat for a little bit and just said, okay, we can just sit here <laughs> just for a minute you yeah. know, and just kind of figure out what's going on with you. Exactly. One of the best tools that I learned um, years ago in, in a long-term relationship was using the timeout. And sometimes we would even just do our, you know, make a tea with our hands because we knew if we opened our mouth one more second, we'd have to clean that up later. So when we would give each other the timeout, it was like a sacred request. There was no talking after that. You had to honor that because it meant that you were in that lizard brain, you know, in that fight or flight or freeze mode, and it's time to stop, go away from each other, and get support somewhere else. We don't have to use our partner for support all the time. There's lots of other community members and friends and coaches and therapists that we can get help from. So do you find, too, that, like, taking time apart to calm our nervous systems and come back together once you're back in your prefrontal cortex, you know, when you're back in your your more evolved thinking brain, do you find that, that having space like that helps you. Yeah, it is. It's very helpful. Um, And it's so funny because when I first started my practice, I didn't have uh, on my booking tool, like I didn't have like, you know, like a 24 hour window and I would get people that would want to drop in like right now and be like, I need to talk to you right now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is polyamory. Like it's not life or death. Like there, I can guarantee you there's nothing that a person is going through that they need to talk to me in like the next 20 minutes but that's just how fight or flight these feelings can be. Like you'll be like, I have to talk to someone right this second. And, um, right. and so I find that it is really good to get a chance to like say, okay, look, I need to go outside. I and mean, this just walking around the block for just, you know, five, 10 minutes and just breathing. Um, and kind mm-hmm. of, and actually that was one of the mantras that I also created for myself is there is no danger. So when I would find myself in those like fight or flight feelings where I was feeling very emotionally charged up, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this feels scary, this feels really scary, this feels really threatening. I would literally in my brain repeat to myself, there is no danger, there is no danger, there is no danger because I I would be feeling all these feelings as if I was in actual danger and had to learn how to like calm myself down and go, this is really uncomfortable and it's scary, but like, 
this is not like a nine one one situation right now. Like you can you can calm down, you can de-escalate. We can put this on pause so that you're not talking about it in the heightened of your emotions when things are probably not going to come out well and you're going to be speaking out of your emotion space. And so I do find that it is very helpful to get a chance to calm down or even just go phone a friend, a good, trusted, polyamorous friend that you have to kind of get some of the nastier parts of our emotions. So sometimes our emotions come out and they're really muddy. Um, and mm-hmm. it's better, I feel like, to do that. I say do that off stage, you know, so do that off stage yeah, yeah, your partners, yeah. having a That's friend good. or, you know, a journal even, or just somewhere where you can kind of zip, you know, that stuff out. Um, mm-hmm. Because once mm-hmm. you get that stuff out and you're a little calmer, then you're usually able to come to the conversation in a much more constructive way. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I want to go back because I'm curious about something you said when you were telling us about your story um, that you, what was it like when you finally had your first like real romantic relationship with, with a woman? You know, I realized that I had a lot of internalized misogyny, a lot. Mm. And it was very Mm. interesting. Yeah, it was very, very, very interesting. I had a lot of internalized misogyny because she and I were very different. And Mm -hmm. we were very different in a lot of the ways that I was very insecure about myself um, with. And I wasn't super aware of all of those ways until I got in that relationship. And I realized how much I judged um, like who she was as a person, even though I loved her and cared about her and, you know, wanted to be with her, but I judged who she was as a person a lot. But that judgment came from my own insecurity of like Mm -hmm. not being that kind of woman, you know? So, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and just realizing that there is no real like right way to be a woman, like it's all valid, but Mm -hmm. I very much realized that a lot of my insecurities about all the ways that I like didn't show up, in a way that they say a woman should be. Um, And she had some of those things. And so I would judge her a lot, uh, but that judgment was coming from my own personal insecurities. And so I realized that I had a lot of internalized misogyny in that, in that relationship Mm. that I had to unpack. And it was really, it was, it was, it was kind of gross. Honestly, like I was like, Ooh, you know, because I very much saw myself as like this feminist and, you know, you know, girl power, and we are women, here we roar. And I, I, you know, I thought that about myself. And then all of these things were coming up and I was like, whoa, like, what is that? Where is that coming from? Um, and so it was very illuminating. And it also very much showed me just how much like heteronormativity I had, because I just did not even know how to be in a relationship with a woman. And so it was very rocky. It was very, as much as I loved mm-hmm. her and I was so excited and I really wanted it to work out. And, and I was so like, you know, so grateful to finally have this happen. Cause I mean, I was in my thirties by the time I finally got, you know, a romantic relationship with a woman, even though I'd known I'd liked women since I was like 14. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was really, really excited about it, but um, I had a hard time showing up to it because um, I had so mm-hmm. much heteronormativity and so much internalized misogyny that it was really hard. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, there's a lot, lot that we have to deprogram in ourselves in so many ways, so many parts of us with regard to, um, you know, he, you know hetero, heteronormativity and monogamy and race and you name it. There's so much programming that goes on, huh? 
Yeah, yeah. And and, um, and she had actually had experience with other women before. So um, I imagine it was challenging for her because she was like, I don't get this. And then so we both kind of did it to each other because, like, you know, she kind of had these, like, okay, well, women are like this, and I wasn't like that. And I was like, you know, well, this is the right way to be a woman. And she wasn't like that. And so it was it was challenging. It was. It was very challenging. Mm-hmm. And then add that into her being in a relationship with um, uh, my husband at the same time. And they got along a lot easier than she and I did. And so that made it challenging, too, because I was like, well, you know, they're getting along a lot easier than I do. Why can't I figure this out? And so it was very tumultuous. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, I'd love to dig deeper in that, but I have a couple other questions. So so tell me, like, some of the things that you really enjoy that you think are great about non-monogamy, besides that it helps you grow emotionally. Um, I love the self-discovery. So I learned so much about myself and who I am as a person in ways that I probably wouldn't have if I had not explored this. I've made some incredible friends. So I have like some of the best friends I have ever had. My so the most fulfilling relationships that I've gotten from non-monogamy have actually been the friendships that I've made in the community. Um, so I've made some mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful friends. Um, and I also enjoy how being in other relationships just brings out different sides of you, helps you to discover yourself more. So I've had all these experiences with, you know, my different partners and has taught me things like, well, that works for me. That definitely doesn't work for me. So I feel like I've gotten way more intimate with myself. And that's actually one of the things that I say, because I got into non-monogamy thinking that I, it would, you know, create these opportunities for me to be intimate with more people. But the person who I became the most intimate with is myself. Um, mm-hmm. and so that is one of the like biggest benefits for me is just, you know, the self intimacy that comes from, um, navigating non-monogamy. And then also mm-hmm. I love feeling like I am doing the work to love the people in my life in much freer ways, uh, because so mm-hmm. much of what we hear around relationships and especially romantic relationships is around ownership. You know, that person is yours, mm-hmm. you know, you're one flesh. You're one mind, you're one heart, they're supposed to, you know, be on your agenda, and, you know, and so I like that I'm learning how to uh, love people in ways that feel more um, healthy. And not to say that monogamy can't be conducted in a healthy way, because I don't believe that, but I like that I'm learning how to give the people in my life kind of freedom to be themselves, their own autonomy, like learning that just because I have a feeling about something that someone is doing doesn't mean that they should not pursue that thing if that's what's going to bring them their highest joy and and good, you know, and that I can still support that even if I'm uncomfortable with what they're doing. So I feel, and and that bled out to all of my relationships. So I feel like it, it helped me to learn how to love my children more freely. It helped me to learn how to love my friends more freely, how to love my family members more freely. Um, and I think it also has taught me, how to uh, have better boundaries um, in mm-hmm. all of my relationships and kind of stand up for my boundaries and then also allow people to have their boundaries with me. I've learned how to be a lot better about respecting the boundaries of others and the people that I care about through non-monogamy. Got it. Cool. Good answer. <laughs> um, so since you have been pretty open on social media about your marriage um, separation, 
Um, are you willing to share a little bit about that and what you've learned from that sure. process? Because I know, you know, I, I'm a relationship coach and I ended a relationship in February and I had some like, not quite shame, but just like questioning, like, hmm, now I'm single. It's the pandemic. It's hard to meet people. Can I give people advice about relationship when I'm not in one? And then I realized, you know, there's very few people that meet somebody when they're 16 and stay married until they die. <laughs> That's a very, very small percentage. So that means that we all go through phases of either good relationships, failing relationships, or in-between relationships. So we're all in like three we're all, all of us are always in one of those three phases except for that tiny percentage of people that stay married for 60 years until they die. <laughs> so um, so I, I, I appreciate that you've been open about that and also about your vulnerability about being a relationship coach and, and having your marriage fail. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, it's been very interesting. Um, and I, I experienced that same shame of, of how can I – navigate, help people navigate non-monogamy when my relationship that I got into non-monogamy with is now ending, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Right, right. And so, yeah, so I totally, I can totally relate to that or even being in the space of like now because I do have a partner, but I only have one. And so, you know, I know that, you know, I'm polyamorous or non-monogamous because I am, but like I'm sort of weirdly in this monogamous space where I'm just only having one partner. So like, how can I even coach people on how to navigate multiple relationships while I only have one? Um, Mm -hmm. But I will say that I am very well aware that it wasn't non-monogamy that did this to us. And so that's kind of where Mm -hmm. I kind of get rid of that. Even as I reflect back on our relationship long before we got into non-monogamy, my husband and I have always been people that we were just like, polar opposites and so the fact that we even lasted 16 years is a big Mm. deal because Mm -hmm. like we literally have a joke in our marriage where like if we go out to eat and we order like an appetizer and he takes a bite and I take a bite and he's like oh I don't really like this I'm like oh my gosh it's so good and he'll be like that's because I don't like it because that's literally like how (laughs) how opposite we are about a lot of things and um, while we did love each other very much and uh, we got along very well and we had a happy relationship um, but our relationship was always hard. It was always, always hard. It was always a hard relationship. It was, it was, it was always like trying to make the East meet the West um, mm-hmm. because we were just so different. And, um, and so, uh, you know, my husband just kind of got to a point to where he's like, and, and, and it's, 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 it's almost like more challenging because we weren't fighting. Like we weren't fighting. We weren't not getting along. Like I could see if we had this like period of like, you know, months where it was just constant. Every time we talked to each other, we were just fighting. Like, no, we weren't fighting. We got along very well. Um, But I think he just got to a point to where he was just like, you know, we just can't keep ignoring these very fundamental incompatibilities that we've had for this really, really long time. And then the way that he wants to live and the way that I want to live is very different. So I would probably categorize him as very solo polyamorous. I don't think he wants to live with anyone anymore. I don't think he really um, identifies with being in a, in a traditional marital relationship at all. Um, I don't think he wants to have uh, any partners that he have, has enmeshed finances with. Like, he just wants completely different um, than what I wanted. And so at, at some point he was just like, you know, like the, 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 the structure that we've been operating in for this period of time, it just it doesn't suit us anymore. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so we need to change the structure. So the love is there. Um, and, you know, it's not that we didn't, you know, want to be around one another or anything like that, but it's just like the structure just is not working anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. And do you think that there might be a time in the future where you could stay connected in any way that's, you know, has any sexual element or romantic element from like these new places where he's more solo poly and you're maybe with another partner? Mm, I've actually kind of thought that, you know, over something that I've pondered and at this stage of the game, with it being so fresh, I'm going to probably say no, <laughs> even though like, I'm a never-say-never never kind of person. Um, but I mm-hmm. just think that there's just too much history there, like, to be able yeah. to just do that, you know? So maybe years and years and years and years and years down the line, you know, the potentiality mm-hmm. would still would be there, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't mm-hmm. fight it. Um, but I just think that there's just too much history that I don't know that I could do that shift. And kind of go, okay, well, we have certain parts of this, but we got rid of these other parts. Um, I, I, I don't, at, at this juncture, how I feel now, like I'm going to go with no. I think it's just probably better for us to just kind of maintain a, you know, platonic, co-parent, um, you know, kind of partnership um, and not add some of those mm-hmm. other elements in there. But, I mean, you know, you never know. So who knows, like, where we'll change or evolve emotionally about this time goes on and, you know, we kind of develop our separate lives we might find that something like that actually works. Cause like, you know, I don't think mm-hmm. either of those feelings are gone for either of us, but, um, mm-hmm. but you know, just right now it just makes, it would make the lines would just be too blurry to, to try to incorporate yeah. any of those things at this point, but maybe some years down the line when, you know, we've gotten a good enough separation, it might be possible. Totally. Yeah. That's an honest answer. <laughs> And then yeah. how, how about your kids? How has, uh, op- you know, open, opening your relationship been for your kids? Um, honestly, we were, once we got into it, we were very open with them from the start. So uh, I, my, I think my sons were maybe like eight um, and my daughter mm-hmm. was like five at the time. So mm-hmm. I don't even know that they have a whole lot of memory of like what our lives were like before we were non-monogamous because we've been doing it for, uh-huh. you know, over half their lives at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, and they meet our partners, they interact with them. And so they don't seem to, like, I definitely do think that they know it's not the norm. It's not how, you know, most people, you know, relationships work, but it's normal for them because that's just the mm-hmm. way we've always been. So they've met our partners and my partner was just here today and we were hanging out and watching TV and, you know, they were talking to him about anime and stuff. And so, you know, I think it's for them, it's just life. Um, they don't seem mm-hmm. to have a lot of feelings or thoughts around it because we don't, I would say, if you don't make it weird, kids won't make it weird. You know? Exactly. So we don't make it weird. Yeah. And so they don't make it weird. I do think so that they're going to be monogamous, strangely. <laughs> so I, I'm like, they're going to be monogamous. I feel like, strangely, they might be become monogamous. I've never heard them, like, talk about it before. But they're also really young. So I don't even think they're thinking about that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, younger kids are now going to school and hanging out with other kids that have, you know, two moms or two dads or, you know, <laughs> Or like maybe a trans parent or, you know, they're just kind of used to a lot of different relationship makeups out there in the world than when we were younger. Yeah. So for them, 
I, yeah, like I, I feel like it's just their life. They don't ever really talk. I think one time my daughter asked me, I was going over to one of my partner's house, and I was, she was like, oh, where are you going? And I was like, oh, I'm going to Flansville's house. And she was like, why? And I was like, oh, because I like spending time with him. And she was like, do you like spending time with dad too? And I was like, yeah. I was like, no, and that was it. But that was like the only time <laughs> that any of them has ever like asked me any kind of question uh-huh. about it. For the most part, they're just like, yeah, this is just what mom and dad do. And that's kind of it. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, kids pick up on our energy. If we feel shame about it or we make it a big deal, you know, that they'll pick up that energy. Um, I remember somebody telling me that they sat their kids down and were ready to have this big talk to explain what non-monogamy was, and they told them, and then their kids are like, can we go back to our video games now? <laughs> Yeah, that's very much my kids. They're just like, okay. And then they're like, can I just go back to, like, what I was doing? So they're not – I will say that I am a little curious as to whether or not we will, like, have to have some conversations with them around, you know, uh, separating, you know, and if they, like, attribute it to the fact that, you know, we live this way. Um, so, like, that's right. something that I'm kind of, like, a little, like, on high alert for, like, going, like, hmm, you know, like, mm-hmm. I wonder if they have any thoughts around, like, that being the reason why we're not staying together and obviously having to tell them that that's not the case. But yeah. up, in, up until now, they haven't really said anything, so they don't seem to register mm-hmm. it. Cool. Right on. Well, um, we're about out of time, and I want to make sure that you have plenty of time to tell our listeners how they can reach you if they're interested in working with you or exploring working with you. Um, please let us know what you're up to, if there's anything you want to offer the audience. Um, you know, take it away. You have, it, you have five minutes, so, you know, take your time, whatever you want to tell our audience. Um, I want to thank you first for the opportunity, just getting the talk. This was a great conversation. Um, and um, I can be found on Facebook at Lavita Loca Sawyers. I can also be found on Instagram at Lavita Loca 34 um, website pending, so I'm working on that now, getting my own uh, website. I do offer individual non-monogamy coaching and then also couples and slash or more non-monogamy coaching. You can find my rates on Facebook, um, and you can book time with me on Facebook, or you can reach out to me via email at easawyers24 at yahoo.com. Um, and you can purchase packages of of um, uh, sessions. You can also purchase them one at a time. I specialize in the transition from monogamy to non-monogamy, so I'm very, very good for working with beginners and people that are kind of just figuring out how they want to navigate this and developing the mental reframes that they need to in order to kind of change their perspective of how they feel about relationships and how they work and sort of adapt to the new model. Um, I'm also very good with jealousy. So if you're struggling with jealousy and you're finding that you just can't figure out how to get around the feelings or get through them, um, I'm very, very good with helping people through jealousy and also helping people navigate how to talk about their difficult and uncomfortable emotions in a way that your partner can hear you. Um, Because a lot of the ways that we talk about our emotions sometimes come off as accusatory and it makes it difficult for our partners to connect to our message. And so I'm very good with, like, helping people explain what they're experiencing in a way that keeps the responsibility for their feelings with themselves but also invites their partners to come in and support uh, their emotional process. Um, and um, I will be doing a, 
uh, event for Empowered Pleasure on Disclosure Agreement soon, so you can find the information for that on my Instagram page, Lavita Loca 34, and also on my Facebook page, um, Lavita Loca Sawyers. Um, and that is coming up January 15th. I'm also doing an event on January 9th with Polly Pages on decoupling in polyamory. So if you're navigating a breakup um, and you want to hear about how other people in non-monogamy are navigating that, I'll be doing that with a couple of other non-monogamy educators and speakers, and we're all in the space of, of having relationships that are transitioning and ending. And so we'll be talking about our experiences with that and things that have helped us out. And, um, yeah, that's how you find me. So, like I said, Levita Loca 34 on Instagram, Levita Loca Sawyers on Facebook, and you can book sessions with me for non-monogamy coaching and counseling um, and support. Um, sometimes it just helps to have somebody who knows about this that you can bounce this off of because a lot of us have monogamous friends, and even if they're really supportive, They'll usually say things like, I really don't know why you're doing that, but I, you know, I'm here to support you. So sometimes it's just nice having a sounding board, someone who actually knows what you're going through and knows what you're talking to. So for if you need non-monogamous peer support, I'm also available for that as well. And you can find my rates and uh, book sessions with me through my Facebook page, Movie the Loca Sawyers. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you have plenty of experience to share with people. So you're a great resource for the community and I'm, Really honored to have had you on the relaunch of my show. So thank you so much for being here, La Vita Loca. Thank you. This is a great conversation. I appreciated your thoughtful questions. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you later then. Good night. So those of you that are still on the show, I just want to let you know that um, the I'll be skipping next week and come back on on January 19th with a very exciting guest, Victor Waring. Victor is based in Southern Oregon, is a somatic sexuality and relationship educator, and he has a lot of wonderful insights about open relationship as well as um, sexuality. Um, I went to one of his workshops called Rewilding Sexuality, so... He's got some interesting ideas and is a very sharp mind. So I hope you'll join us on Tuesday, the January the 19th, with our guest, Victor Waring. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with the wonderful Evita Loca, La Vita Loca Sawyers. Okay, have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye.